This interview was undertaken in the kitchen in Jamestown in St Helena. The sound quality isn't as good as I would hope it to be, so I apologise to listeners in advance, but I hope you enjoy it anyway. An Irish girl and an English girl walk into a bar. Nothing unusual. Well, except the bar is on a tiny volcanic island, 1,200 miles off the coast of South America, 1,800 miles off the coast of Africa. Nothing in between but ocean. A place where the Union Jack hangs outside, but it's 30 degrees on Christmas Day. A bar where everybody knows your name and the bartender knows your order. This is a podcast of two girls blathering about their favourite things, Birds, books, life affairs, trips away and slips, trips and falls in the most remote place in the world. Welcome to An Irish Girl and an English Girl Walk into a Pub. It's me, Nicole Schmier, and you, Anya Hurley. How are you today, Anya? I'm fine, thank you. But it's usually walk into a bar, Nicole. You said walk into a pub. Oh my gosh. Well... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in COVID times, I suppose it's walking into the house and the kitchen, mm, I guess. Maybe walk. we should change our podcast. <laughs> mm, walk into misery. Yeah. <laughs> Although we haven't had too much misery recently. We have been on holiday. That's true. We've had a great holiday. And our quarantine has actually been pleasant as we've had such lovely sunny weather. Exactly. A friend of mine at the moment is in quarantine in Japan. And she's got 14 days in a hotel room and she can't go outside. So we're, we've actually been really lucky. Mm. We've got 10 days in the house with a garden. Yeah, no, it's, it's been very um, bearable, actually quite pleasant. Yeah, and this is the last day of it, which is exciting. Yes, just a few hours left. Yeah. So um, we won't be talking to each other much this podcast, will we? No, because you have excitingly interviewed a special guest. Yeah. Tell us about Mark. Well, Mark wrote a very interesting book, which he speaks about in the interview. And I think you also um, give a little bit of an explanation about his book. So Mark was living in St. Helena with his wife, Jo, until relatively recently. Actually, very recently. They left Mm. on the flight that we left them to go on holiday, which is only like six weeks ago about. Mm. And um, most people in St. Helena will know that Mark is very interested in um, astronomy and he's written books on the topic but he also did um, evenings in Pinewood Fort where he on clear nights would show people the stars and constellations and give like lots of information about them and m- a few months before he left he started doing um, cruises on um, Cheryl and Morgan's Yacht in Amadica where they were starlight cruises where they would go out to James Bay again on clear nights and then Mark would tell people um, about all the constellations which are this because there's no light pollution in St. Helena it's extremely clear mm. so you have an amazing view of the stars and we actually went on one of those cruises and it was a really great experience um, I mean, the, it was a perfectly clear night, um, the stars were beautiful, and then we had all that um, phosphorescence in the water, there were dolphins jumping, um, Morgan made hot chocolate, popcorn, it was just an amazing, amazing trip. It was actually really cool. I think it was that night that um, we came up with the thought that, that perhaps, um, you know, I invite Mark on and have mm-hmm. a chat about, about his book. 
like I, I feel um I feel a bit bad actually because in the book chat um I go into a lot about psychology but it's actually a lot about stars which I don't touch on that much but knowing who um our podcast listeners are um we do like true life stories we do like experiences we do like talking about I don't know travel and what people've learned and things like that so I did go into it a lot but um but yeah a lot of his uh, books actually when you read it are are very focused on on the stars mm, I look forward to hearing your interview with Mark thank you very much This week for you listeners, we have a pretty special book review because we're here with the author of The Mindful Universe, Mark Westmacket. Mark is an astronomer and was a scientist researching astronomy at the European Southern Observatory in Munich and at UCL in London. He's also an ordained ex-Zen monk and pilgrimage walker. Mark regularly teaches courses and workshops in mindfulness, meditation and yoga. And he's the author of The Mindful Thoughts for Stargazers and Stars. When physicists started looking into the nature of light, their experiments brought into question the centuries-old paradigm of certainty and objectivity that underpinned all of physics and astronomy. The result was an existential crisis that lasted decades. Remarkably, the path of discovery and realisation charted by these physicists parallels the journey of mindfulness and spiritual inquiry. This path begins when you identify a problem, perhaps your own existential crisis. The journey may take you over rough ground and around uncomfortable truths, but the crisis can only find resolution when you realise you are not just a separate part of this universe. You are it. Mark, can you describe where we are at the moment? Oh, um, so we're sitting in the kitchen of a place called Coles Courtyard, which is down just at the top end of Jamestown, just next to the run. So a little stream of water running next to the window. Jamestown, here we're on the island of St Helena. So we're, we're in the South Atlantic, halfway between Africa and South America. Completely surrounded by ocean, right? Hundreds and hundreds, and hundreds of miles of just ocean. Which makes it quite good for stargazing. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, it's probably one of the darkest places that I've ever been in the world. Actually, like when there's, you know, when the when there's no clouds at night time, it's just remarkably dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we're here basically to talk about um one of the books that you've recently written and been published, um, called The Mindful Universe. How would you describe this book, Mark? So this book is all about bringing together the worlds of um, astronomy, astrophysics, and science, and the universe, and the world of like our inner world, if you like, sort of our, our awareness, our perception, our place in the universe, our humanity. If you so trying to sort of bridge the gap and make the connections between who we are as a human, how we fit in the universe, what is the universe and mm. what that means to us. I saw the cover and I thought, okay, this is definitely about the universe. The fact it's called Mindful Universe, I thought it's definitely about mindfulness. But actually I was personally 
really pleasantly surprised how much the book also went into themes around psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. In this book, for me, it wasn't just about um, mindfulness as a practice and about the universe. You actually talked about trauma and painful memories, stress and depression as well. Mm-hmm. And actually, for me, the, the parts I most enjoyed reading about was when you delved into your personal experience. My mum and my stepdad were in a car accident and in that accident my stepdad died and my mum ended up losing three limbs and so that was when I was about 13 so it was kind of like the whole period of my teenage years was all about coming to terms with this. My mum was in a wheelchair like very needing a lot of care and and my sister and myself trying to get on with life and I think you know from this perspective of now as an adult looking back for, for sure I reacted by distancing myself from feeling anything like I just shut myself down mm. and the result of that was to hold everyone at arm's length and I found it very difficult to engage with any emotion basically mm. so I suppose when I came up into my 20s and went to university and things and started to explore relationships away from family and and friend, I, I could make friends, but nothing particularly deep uh, or close, you know. And um, I think that pr- probably put a, a very a big uh, like greyness, I suppose, on life. Like I wasn't really yeah. feeling emotions. I definitely felt this kind of haze of greyness over my life. Like everything didn't couldn't really connect. And I, I think it was one time I was home. Um, back with my mum and my sister over Easter holidays or something like that and yeah. and I was really struggling I probably said something nasty to my sister and you know like just not really um, not really coping very well my mum was like you just got to do something about this you've got to get some therapy Mark or something and yeah. I think that that prompted me in my mind maybe I maybe I ought to so uh, or I went back to university and actually through the counselling service uh, at university he managed to find a therapist we did a few sessions and he passed me on to someone he knew and I ended up doing about three and a half years twice a week therapy like psychotherapy mm. and um, yeah I mean at the same time I started a meditation practice I've been doing yoga for a little bit of time and I think the combination of all that psychotherapy looking at the whys and the history and the connections whys and wherefores yeah. uh, and then also the meditation the mindfulness and the ability to to start to allow some of this emotions to arise, but but just be okay with it, yeah. not feel like it's a bad thing or a good thing, I really turned everything around. Mm. That's really interesting because the way that you were kind of blocking emotions probably meant to yourself or to the outside that you seem kind of fine. Mm. You know, because when when something stressful happens you know you've got the tools in your tool bag just to find that not stressful because Mm. at the end of the day you're like I could be stressed about this but I'm just going to put this emotion in the box like I've done with all the other emotions Mm. you know Mm. and so the fact that you were suggested that you go to therapy and you took that on rather than going oh no no no, I'm fine Mm. that Mm. was that's I don't know if you recognise that, but that's actually quite a big step to mm. go from someone who basically mutes emotions to, you know, almost giving something a go that may or may not have worked and you may or may not have thought you needed it, I guess, at the time. Yeah, 
Was it difficult writing about such personal parts of your life? Hmm. Yeah, they were the hardest parts of the book to write. I mean, um, you know, I um, I would often sit down and you know there would be bits of the of the book or as I was writing it which would just kind of flow out very easily, um, and then other parts, especially when I started to reflect and 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 look at like my own personal story, experiences, emotions, and things that I would really have to stop and inquire into myself like was this really how I felt is this really how I remember it and how do I write it in such a way that was like just genuine I suppose about how it was arising in me yeah yeah so so quite yeah a little bit harder have you had this feedback loop where people have said to you firstly well Mark I was really surprised that all those things had happened to you Mm. um you know you seem like a really you know well put together guy but also that they might have said, I really, you know, really felt this when I read this. Mm. I recognised something that I'd been through. And I'm sure you would have had people coming and saying, you know, I've had that, like, a, a different trauma, but I've had a trauma too. Mm-hmm. For sure, definitely. I, I suppose I set out from the beginning to make it as honest and genuine as possible. And mm. um, just talking about how I had uh, various things that happened to me as a child and then as a teenager and how I reacted to that and how it sent me down this path of like burying my head in study as a way to get away from, you know, feeling the emotion and all that. And I, I feel like if, yeah, people have said to me, like, if, you, if you're willing to open up and write about your own experience, then you'll find that other people are willing mm. to open up about their experience. And I find that really, really lovely. It's been absolutely just as you say. Yeah. People have come up and just feel comfortable, like they've read about what about my life and then they, they feel comfortable to sort of talk a little bit in return. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really... So you mentioned that part of your personal journey included therapy. Um, what did you learn through therapy that led you to live a more kind of balanced and happy life? What, what did you learn about yourself, really? Yeah, kind of? yeah. I think I, um, I remember many times after a th- uh, well during a psychotherapy session discussing an event which had happened that day or, or that week or whatever mm. where I'd been a, in a interaction with someone and I had closed it down you know and and I described it and he's like well do 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 you see why they reacted like that to you and after after a little bit you know that this coming up again and again I was like oh, I see I see I mean I I understand now that my way of reacting to their what they said yeah. basically caused them to close down, caused me to close down. And so I think that was one of the big things of realising, ah, in these kind of yeah. conversations or interactions, that's what happens. And then, of course, as soon as it becomes conscious and you're aware of it, then you have a choice to do something about it, to do something differently. Mm. And, and I think that's also really the, the, the gist of mindfulness as well. Like, what is unconscious... It has a sort of power over us almost, like yeah. you have no control over it. As soon as we become aware, more aware, more present with how you feel mm. and what's going on, the more choice you have about how yeah. to respond. Yeah. Mm. So even to this day, when you when you now have a conversation with someone, you communicate with them, you're a lot more conscious of, of how they... It's not just what, what you think and feel, it's but how, how might they be reacting to what you think and feel when they deliver you communication, where they might be coming from, or is that kind of, are you kind of more conscious of that 
now? Yeah, I suppose I'm able to, um, I suppose I can be more co more conscious of how I'm be coming across, yeah. like how open I'm being in my expression and I can I can notice when that makes a difference in how other people respond to me. That makes yeah, sense. That makes absolute sense. Mm, yeah. Mm. Like I'm not trying to manipulate or or see between the lines or whatever, but I yeah. definitely feel like the more honest and genuine I can be about my own, you know, feelings or thoughts or whatever it is, then people respond much differently. Like of course, parts of your book it's not about psychotherapy um, as much as we've been talking about, but. It delves into the science of the universe. So you trained as an astronomer and after a while the profession felt like a bit of a chore rather than a joy. Um, now, one thing I noticed that you took a huge unconventional step in giving that up to practice yoga and mindfulness as a profession. Um, so I've, I've personally got some friend of my, friends of mine who have either taken that journey or are thinking of taking the journey where they're walking away for, from leaving a serious, you know, whether it's a serious job or academic route and delving into something a lot more creative, um, potentially less lucrative, um, and they're scared to do so. Um, I mean, do you have any kind of messages for people like that or, or any reflections on your journey? I feel like it took me a couple of years, you know, and the idea had started to arise and, you know, just kind of kept on rising. I felt quite a strong uh, sense of a push away from what I was doing. Like, um, I, w I felt quite isolated in my job and I wasn't particularly happy with how it was working. I, astronomy was, was great, but it's just how it was, how I was working in it, was really. And then also I felt the number of pull factors in, the, in another direction. Like, I wanted to work a little bit more with people. I wanted to do something that was more directly helpful to people. Yeah. And I also wanted to put my relationship with my wife first. Mm. Uh, rather than the career so um, I guess those kind of things bubbled away for a while and then it's just a question of listening you know and um, and going with what your gut says yeah. yeah so I mean you can write down lists and of pros and cons and things but in the end your gut is telling you yeah. something or your heart maybe or is telling you something about yeah. what what you need to do and, you know, people say these days that everyone has at least two careers in their life, mm. maybe three, maybe four. You just got to go with it. You know, it's not easy. It's, it takes a bit of courage. But, um, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I suppose when I was doing school and university, I saw life pretty linear. Right. So um, you go to college, go to university, do your degree. Yeah. You end up working in that profession and you end up, you know, just pro progressing up the ladder or whatever it is. For me, it was university, and I now see that so many people take such different routes. You know, people's life looks like a zigzag, bouncing yeah. off the walls, all sorts over the place. You know, and I, but I just didn't see that when I was early twenties. Yeah. So I think that if someone had said to me, you know, Mark, life doesn't have to be linear like this, yeah. to me when I was in my twenties, I think that would have probably <laughs> made a difference. But one day you realise and you wake up and say, "This is my life. I've got one life." And no one else is living it. It's just me. 
So whether or not Joe Bloggs thinks that I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, um, like you say, if you've got it in your gut that you really have this feeling to do something or not do something, there's got to be a point that you end up listening to yourself. Otherwise, you worry that you regret it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so many people said to me, Mark, you've been training all these years in physics. You know, you've got a PhD. Why give it all up and go and do something like that? But actually, why value Hmm. a scientific career more than teaching yoga or being a you know yoga teacher or whatever why do people value that there's no Absolutely. reason why um, one is more important than the other and I suppose and I suppose in a way it's sometimes it's about making a difference and on the face of it people think well you know if you're a scientist you can make an advance in this area and that will make a difference um, whereas actually what you were saying was you know with people, you can make a difference through being a teacher, a yoga teacher, or practicing certain things, and and people follow you in their life improves. So actually, you know, it, it, I suppose it's just ways of looking at things, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. So you also have a um, a book out called Stars, which is a bit more practical. Um, do you want to explain to the mm, listeners what that is? Yeah. So um, I suppose when I finished astronomy um, and then started to pick up yoga, teaching yoga. It took me quite some years to try to bring the two worlds together. I just couldn't see how I could bring them together for a long time. And then I got asked by this publishing company to write... So the first of my books was called Mindful Thoughts for Stargazers. Mm. And that's a little book about bringing together, you know, mindfulness and stargazing. And then it's kind of like, it's evolved. So I've got this Mindful Universe book. And then the stars book is much more about constellations, you know, about maps of the constellations Mm. and some of the myths and the stories behind the constellations. And how you can, you know, like, uh, go out, anyone can go out on a, in their garden and just and mm. look up and know what they're looking at. And then it's got a little bit there about how the, um, how the philosophy of the different stories or myths behind the constellations can be relevant to our daily yeah. life. We had the opportunity in St Helena to go on a yacht trip um, with you. So I think you were doing it maybe once or twice a, a week for a, for a while, mm. weren't you? And... Mm. Um, and it was such a magical experience because um, what what you did is you brought essentially those stories to a real setting. Um, I mean, a pretty spe- special setting, right? Very um, much, yeah. Um, so the Nomadaga the was the kind of local yacht um, that we were able to go on and we sailed out. If there was cl- cloud around the island, in general there usually isn't when you're out at, at sea. Um, and the the journey that I went on had beautifully clear skies. Um, so over some hot chocolate and some popcorn, you were giving us these stories, um, and it was just absolutely amazing. I think it's been one of the most reinvigorating experiences for me being here these two years on Saint Helena. I I realised I'd forgotten just looking up at the night sky when it's dark how much how lovely it is, how magical it is, you know, just not even to know what you're looking at, but just to look up and to find that wonder of the night sky. And being here on St. Helena with these dark skies has been just remarkable for me, totally refreshed. Like, Mm. ah, I know now why I got into astronomy in the first place. I remember when you first came here a couple of years ago and, you know, I, I said, oh, what do you think you'll do whilst you're on the island? And you said, oh, I don't know, maybe some bits and bobs and... Then over dinner, you kind of mentioned that um, you had done astronomy before, and I said, 
oh, you're going to get snapped up. You really will will be. And and I don't think I think at the time you're oh, oh you know I'm mm. not really sure. But I've got to say over the last couple of years you've really brought people's interest into looking into the night sky mm. and. I think it's one of those things that um, when you're in St Helena and you've got so much nature and so much opportunity to look at really clear skies and, and stars, um, you know, we almost forget that it's there. Yeah. Um, but I really do feel that there's a, there was a step change um, when you came in and you worked with the, um, the, the group here who was into stargazing and, and how that's kind of moved forward. So I just want to say like very much thank you for that and I really enjoyed kind of all the times that I've been out um, looking at the stars and hearing your stories and I wish you the best for the future. Oh, thank you so much, I've, I've enjoyed it equally. The Mindful Universe, a journey through the inner and outer cosmos by Mark Westmacott is available now from all good bookstores and we'll leave you with a reading from Mark. Enjoy. Many people walk around like a disembodied head, on a body that might as well be a foreign land, like those old maps that label the lands beyond what's known here be dragons. But it doesn't have to be like this. When we learn to feel our bodily sensations without judging or analysing them, we enter a whole new way of being. We can make friends with our body and respond to its messages with kindness. As we gradually redraw the map of our body, we can be begin to appreciate that not only are we inseparable from the earth beneath our feet, but that the myriad chemical elements inside us were produced in stars, billions of years ago. We are literally made of stardust. When the universe began, there was nothing but energy. In the first second, it cooled sufficiently for the fundamental particles, the quarks, electrons and so on, to solidify. And very soon after that, the quarks glued together to form protons and neutrons. Seconds later, protons were able to capture electrons and thus form vast quantities of hydrogen. In the minutes that followed, the temperature and density were such that nuclear fusion bound together some of these protons and neutrons to form helium, helium being two protons, two neutrons and two electrons, and a small amount of lithium. This process is known as Big Bang Nucleosynthesis. Bring your attention to your body. Become aware of the watery saliva in your mouth. Move your tongue around or take a sip of water and notice the feeling of the liquid in your mouth. Water is a molecule with one oxygen atom bonded to two hydrogen atoms, H2O. The protons forming the nuclei of every atom of hydrogen in your saliva were created in the first minute or so after the beginning of the universe. In fact, your body is three quarters water. For billions of years, all the hydrogen in that water existed in space, moving in and out of gas clouds, stars 
and planets. All stars, big or small, eventually run out of the raw hydrogen that fuels them. The smaller ones fizzle out slowly, while the bigger ones become unstable and explode. Fizzling stars, in their last gasps, begin fusing helium into heavy elements like lithium, carbon, nitrogen. Sometimes they throw off their outer layers in slow, pulsating waves, creating transient structures known as planetary nebulae. Let's try to sense some of this carbon and nitrogen in our bodies. First notice your skin. Perhaps there is heat or coolness in your fingers or toes, an itch, or maybe the weight of one leg as it rests crossed over the other. The outermost layer of your skin is made of receptor cells for detecting heat and pressure, and proteins like keratin, which are made of amino acids, which themselves are made of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen and oxygen. The bulk of the carbon and nitrogen in the universe has been synthesized over billions of years in the dying fizzles of smallish stars. The carbon and nitrogen making up your skin would have undoubtedly been part of a beautiful planetary nebula of glowing gas enveloping one of these slowly expiring stars somewhere between about 5 and 12 billion years ago.